For the third time in five seasons, Fulham are back in the Premier League. But while their previous stops have seen them departing back for the championship at quite literally the first time of asking, could the story be different next season for the side that scored 106 goals in the league? A championship record. Also, which young players are ready to make the leap to the Premier League? Give you a hint. We mentioned one of them last episode. And who is the favorite to win that final promotion spot alongside Fulham and Bournemouth into the Premier League? It's an EFL Championship special on this episode of the Tactics Room. Sure to be a fun one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show presented by Breaking the Lines. My name is Will Fowler. I'm your host. And this is episode 16 of BTL's podcast. If you're in the States, our podcast can finally drive a car. 16 episodes in of the Tactics Room, um, BTL's podcast that goes under the hood of some of football's most intriguing stories. If you're a returning listener, you've probably heard this intro a million times. Same same things as usual. Clock out for the next 90 seconds. But regardless, thanks for stopping by again. Appreciate it. And if you're a new listener, this is, uh, you know, in my in my completely unbiased opinion, this is one hell of an episode to get in on. This is this is an A tier, dare I say, S tier tactics room episode. You will enjoy it. Uh, do hope you stick around for the whole thing. If you enjoy what you hear over the next hour or so, please do consider. And I'm get I always get ahead of myself, but please do consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from and following both myself and Breaking the Lines on Twitter if you haven't already. Um, so what's on the docket for today? What are we doing on on episode 16? Uh, for this episode, I sat down with Keelan Sarson to discuss some of the biggest storylines that this season in the championship had to offer. Keelan is a writer uh specifying again i don't I'll, I'll you'll hear it in the interview i don't want to like shoehorn or gridlock him into one specific topic but he writes a lot about the championship one of our our uh, more experienced championship writers and that's exactly what we chatted about uh we chatted about fulham's that high-flying record-breaking attack as i mentioned 106 goals championship record that That inevitable striker, Alexander Mitrovic, 43 goals, also a championship record. We also chatted that they finally come back to the Premier League with some real staying power because they've been on that shuttle. They've been on that text, on that taxi. First stop in, first stop out for Fulham in the Premier League and the championship. Uh, We also chatted some of the brightest young players in the division who are ready to make the leap to football in the Premiership. And we rounded things out by chatting about the promotion playoff and who we like to earn that final spot in the English top flight at the time of recording. It kicks off today, Huddersfield and Luton. Uh, a really intriguing championship playoff, and we chatted about it and made our predictions. Uh, Keelan, if you are listening, thank you again. I know I mentioned it, but thank you again so much for coming onto the show. Had a great chat. For everybody else, settle in, maybe grab some popcorn, throw over a blanket, because uh, this conversation was a ton of fun. So joined now by Keelan Sarson. Keelan, a writer for Backpost Football, as well as our very own breaking the lines. Um, specifically, I don't want to, to handcuff you into one topic, but very knowledgeable in the EFL championship, the second tier of English football. And that's exactly what we're going to chat about today. Keelan, thank you so much for uh, for jumping on. This is going to be a fun episode. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, before we even jump into any of, of the topics that we want to touch on today, we're going to chat a little bit about Fulham and this record-breaking attack that they've got. We're going to talk about the promotional playoff, which, depending on the time of listening, could be starting tomorrow, could have already happened, could be six months in the past. But we're going to chat about both of those things. Even prior to that, uh, some drama in the last few match days of the championship. Of course, Forest form-wise, taking a bit of a turn. They had a chance at automatic promotion, couldn't couldn't seal it. Blackburn uh, kind of went went downhill in the last four or five matches of the season. What did you make of that that fight, that jostle for automatic promotion and also the championship uh, playoff places? Yeah, it was in, I mean, unfortunately for a, a team like Blackburn, I think you know Tony Mowbray only got announced today that he's he's leaving at the end of his contract. So I think he's been there five years and they seem to do it routinely. They get in and around the promotion spots. And then unfortunately for them, they seem to just seem to just fall off for whatever reason. But yeah, it was a, it was a weird one. I think a lot of Forest fans went into that Bournemouth away game really pumped up thinking, this is it, we're going to get automatic promotion. And then a really clever free kick from Billing, I think it was, played it off to Kiefer Moore. And it was a really good goal and probably a goal that, deserve to win quite a flat game, to be honest. And the only worry for a team like Nottingham Forest, you, you do so well over the season, you have an unbelievable run under Steve Cooper, is you get you get to a place where you could get that automatic promotion, you lose to Bournemouth, and then you go, oh, we now have to, we now have to do this all over again in the playoffs where no season form really matters and it's a lottery, really. So, yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that is so intriguing about this 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 playoff structure too is is you look at a side like Dunningham Forest and obviously everybody is fighting for first everybody's fighting for second everybody wants to avoid this 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 promotion playoff but you look at Forest specifically and you look at a side that really could look much different three or four months from now when the summer transfer window is in the rear view because you have to assume regardless of whether or not Forest are in promotion Brennan Johnson will be off somewhere else. Jed Spence potentially could be off somewhere else. And I think if you're a Forest fan, you're looking at the playoff as this could be our best chance in a while to get back to the top flight because no matter how you draw it up next year, we likely won't be as good because these these very, very good players who are drawing interest from everywhere are, are more than likely out the door after this playoff ends, whether or not we go up. Yeah, yeah. I think... I sometimes forget that, you know, Jed Spence is only on loan at Forest. Right. So it's not really, you know, it's a bit out of their hands. And I presume Middlesbrough aren't going to be thinking, they're not going to be on Forest side. They're going to be thinking, what club is going to give us the biggest amount right. of money for Jed? And unfortunately for Forest, they're going to, you know, they're going to have to deal with that however they are. But I think Brennan Johnson, I, you know, I think he's probably been one of the most effective players in, especially in the back end of the championship. And for such a youngster that's, you know, he was first real full season in the championship this campaign. Right. Yeah, he's he's been unbelievable. And he, he was really good on loan at Lincoln in the division below. But to make that step up and to play for Nottingham Forest are a massive club. Right. A lot of a lot of expectation is on them season after season to deliver. And to be what? I think he's 20, 21. Very young. To have that on your shoulders and be able to perform as he does is is unbelievable. And it, it it shows a player that's just ready for the Premier League. Yeah, Brennan Johnson, a player who we act, we got to chat a little bit about last episode. If you didn't hear it, go back and check it out. Well, we'll hopefully talk a little bit about it 
later in this episode when we're uh, discussing the promotion of playoff, but a player who already still in the championship is being referred to by former players, by national team managers as, as almost the finished product, which is stunning praise for a player still playing in the second division of English football. Um, let's talk about the side that ended up winning, though. Let's, let's talk about the side that, uh, that finished top of the table and wins automatic promotion. And it feels like this is the kind of thing that we're saying about Fulham every other year, because for the last six years we have been. Uh, a side that are in that 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 purgatory, that limbo between the Premier League and the Championship. And we were chatting about it a little bit before we began recording. Is like they're one of those clubs that is too good for the Championship. You mentioned Mitrovic's his wages and and his ability are are much further than than your own club, Peterborough United's combined wage wise. I mean, that's that's the the fight that championship clubs are dealing with against Fulham. But then they they receive promotion, they play in the Premier League, and they come right back down. They're not good enough to hang in in the top flight of English football. They're back there. The first question that I want to ask and and we'll chat about and hopefully that will have an answer to in twenty or twenty five minutes is. Is this a side that can finally break that pattern next season? And there are a couple of, of caveats that come here, players moving out, players dipping in form regardless. Can this edition of Fulham, the, the high-flying, free-flowing, rapidly scoring Fulham, finally earn promotion to the Premier League and stay there? I think um, when you look at Fulham this season, it's a, you know, Scott Parker's not the most well-liked man down at Fulham. <laughs> I think just for his tactical preferences, it's a lot more conservative football, you know, a lot of passing. The end product maybe not there a lot of the times, a lot of 1-0, 2-0 wins. I think the difference between that Fulham side, and they, to be honest, Scott Parker never did what Marco Silva's done this season and lifted the title. I think that's a big statement. Right. And also the amount of points, 90 points, the amount of goals scored, over 100 so I think Marco Silva's gone in there, seen, I mean, the, amount, the, the attacking talent in that from them squad. But I mean, obviously, Fabio Cavallio won't be there next season because he's gone to Liverpool. And a lot, a lot of, they've got a similar issue to Nottingham Forest, as in Nico Williams has been really good in the back end of the season as an attacking fullback. He's a Liverpool player. Harry Wilson's been very good this season. He's also contracted to Liverpool. So there's a bit of an, but I think, what, I, what, what you'd, I'd like to see from Fulham next season is they've got to give it a bit more of a go than they did under Scott Parker. And when you watch the, you know, the fact that they beat, I mean, they beat Luton, who are in the championship playoffs on the final, well, in the game to clinch the title, just beat them 7-0. It's it, Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he, because obviously he's not going to go into the Premier League and play this sort of football, because it'll be like, it'll be like 5-5 every game with the amount of, <laughs> with what the Premier League attacks are like. But it's it's going to be a case where Marcus was going to have to wrestle with having all of these attacking players, but then also having a bit more of a structure. Because at points this season, Fulham have slipped up. They've lost to Coventry 3-1. Mm-hmm. They lost to Coventry 4-1 at Coventry as well. So there's a lot of games this season where they have slipped up. So they're not invincible by any means. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a couple of really good points about this Fulham side that I, I want to get into. And one of them who you've written about is Fabio Carvalho, the attacking midfielder, the young Portuguese contracted to Fulham, wildly skilled. But we we know that he's he's not going to be there in, in August. He, we know it's likely that that he's he's packing his bags and heading to Liverpool. We know Jurgen Klopp is a player that's very fond of him. I believe if that deal is not over the line, it's like a tub away from being over the line. And when you speak about the way this Fulham side play in attack, of course, it's 
it's got players. It's got Mitrovic, who broke the goal-scoring record. It's got Harry Wilson, who you mentioned, just a, a brilliant chance creator. It's, it's got Bobby de Cordova Reed on the other side. It's got Niskan's Cabano. It's got Fabio Carvalho, though, and he is, you could argue, the glue that that brings all of them together, the, play that, the player that has that freedom to roam, the player that is able to to get into the channels that open up when the wide players get very, very wide, chalk-on-the-boots type wingers, that, and Carvalho is the one who can go and and run into those channels. And when you get a player like Mitrovic who drops into space, which he likes to do more often than you might think, Carvalho is the one who runs beyond him and creates those chances. And this is a side that scored 106 goals in the championship this season, and Carvalho is a massive, massive part of that. But he's more than likely off the boat come August when the 2022-2023 Premier League season begins. So how... How much different will this, assuming they keep everybody else, assuming that that Harry Wilson, who you mentioned, is contracted to Liverpool, assuming Liverpool see no need for him and loan him out to, to Fulham again, and assuming the players like the Cordova Reed and and Cabano, and even a player like Jean-Michael Serri stay, uh, you look at Carvalho out, and that's the player in the center, and that's a massive, massive gap to fill. How much different could this Fulham side look if Carvalho is not the one bringing them all together? Yeah, I think you made a good point when you, you said he was the, the glue of the team because he is you know, he's such a creative player and you, you watch you know clips of him in games. He can, as much as he's a creative player, he can get the ball, run at teams and then just shoot from nowhere and it will go in the corner. So he's a very useful player in that attack. But you would think, you know, not no offence to Cavalio, he's a great player. You would I don't know if he's going to be a starting player for, for Liverpool anytime right. soon. So... Fulham might, you know, look at the look. They've got obviously got a good relationship with Liverpool with Nico Williams and Harry Wilson. Maybe they're tempted to go. We'll we'll give you Fabio Cavallo, but can you loan him back to us in the Premier League and something like that? But if not, I imagine, I imagine Marco Silva and everyone at Fulham have they must have something in their back pocket if Cavallo. Well, Cavallo is going to leave. They must have something prepared because not to replace Fabio, not to not replace him would be quite criminal, really. Yeah, 10 goals, 9 assists in the championship this season. And we, we've discussed how skilled this player is. So so, so technically sound. That, that's the first thing that, that jumped out to me when I watched Fulham and Fabio Carvalho play at first was his technical ability, that, that touch away from pressure, that close control, that ability to maneuver the ball in tight spaces. And it's really unparalleled by anybody else in this Fulham side because you've got We've got Seri who plays a bit deeper and and possesses those same qualities as well. But in terms of, of that combination of technical ability and creativity, Carvalho is, is unrivaled, not just in this Fulham side, but you could argue in, in all of, of the championship. And and you make you make a good point that you don't know he likely won't. I mean, it's not it's not disrespectful or a slight on Carvalho at all. It's acknowledging that this Liverpool side maybe have the best attack in the world with a ridiculously good second line as well, where does Fabio Carvalho fit? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does get loaned back to Fulham, which would be an interesting development to uh, to see unfold. I can't believe we've been recording this episode for like 12 or 13 minutes already and haven't mentioned once Alexander Mitrovic. Uh, 43 goals, set the record uh, for goals scored in the championship. Um, absolutely brilliant striker. We know that. He's torn up the championship any season. He's been there. Um, it's, it seems like such a stupid question, but Mitrovic in this Fulham attack, I'll, I'll phrase it this way, because we know how, how record-breaking he's been and how record-breaking this Fulham side has been. Is Mitrovic's form 
a product of Fulham's attack, or is Fulham's record-breaking attack a product of Mitrovic's form? Does that question make sense? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like, is Fulham Fulham as high-flying as they are because of how good Mitrovic is, or are Mitrovic's numbers as good as they are because Fulham have this outrageously good attack all over the pitch? I think the second might be true, because I think when you watch Mitrovic play, he can go a bit quiet in games. Like he's not the he's not the most he's not gonna maybe get so involved sometimes. And he I think the, the main reason why Mitrovic scores has scored and broken all these records this season is the attack around him. The amount of creativity, and as you say, Cavalier is so he's almost floaty on the ball the way he's a very delicate player. You can sort of you know, you've got Seri and Harrison Reed that's a very defensive minded player. You give the ball to Carvalho and he's the one that will unlock defences. You've got Cabano, Wilson. Fulham's wingers really help Mitrovic because, you know, Mitrovic is a poacher. I, I've seen him twice this season when I went to Fulham away and when Fulham came to Peterborough. They won both games 1-0 and 2-1. They weren't convincing displays by any means. And I think Mitrovic had, what, three chances in both those games and scores two goals. He's that sort of player where if you've got that creativity on that pitch, more times than not, when, when you know, Cabano or Wilson crosses it in or the ball falls to Mitrovic, he's going to put it into the net. So I think it's more of a case of the players around him. But undoubtedly, Mitrovic has been... I think he'd still scored a, a stupid amount of goals if you put him in, like, Bournemouth lineup, for example. Right. I think there's... I think he. I think it's a, a mixture of both, but it really, you know, when you have Harry Wilson and Fabio Cavallio and, you know, Niskins Cabana, who's a very experienced player at this point in the championship, very skillful player, bombs down the wing, it's not going to hurt you, is it? And obviously, with the amount of goals he scored, yeah. Yeah, one thing that I love, I absolutely love about Alexander Mitrovic is it, it's so easy to watch him and, and throw and slap on this poacher's tag, right? Because he is. He's a player who who doesn't need, as you mentioned, 10 chances to find the back of the net. If, if he's like my, my litmus test, and this is more for international competition than it is for club competition. But if, if you don't have a striker or an attacking player who in the 88th minute, you plug him in the penalty area and say, I trust you to score. You're not a good side. Like that in terms of, of your attacking quality, you need that one player, even if he doesn't assist, and anything else, you need that one player who you can say, if one chance falls to you, I trust you to take it. And that's Mitrovic. And it's it's very easy to look at a player like that and say, uh, target man forward, poaching forward, plug him in the box and let everybody else go to work. But Mitrovic, at least from what I've seen, is that, that that's kind of underselling him a little bit because he is a player who who does enjoy dropping between the defenders. And and at times I've seen Mitrovic drop into midfield and play line breaking balls through to Fabio Carvalho. And it's not something that, that he's renowned for. He's not a, a number 10 in a number nine's body, like some strikers that we see, but he does, he does have that, that twinge of, okay, yes, I can, I can put the ball in the back of the net, but I can also drop in between the lines and play a, a quick one touch ball to, to a different player and act as a pivot. I'm not going to pick up the ball at midfield and run at, run at 40 yards at, at six defenders, but I can offer a bit more other than just getting on the end of crosses from Wilson, from Cabano, from Bobby Cordova Reed. And, and I think that influence that he has on Fulham's buildup phases in the game 
also play a big, big role because, yes, 43 goals, but also seven assists. And that, that's the third most in this Fulham side. He's not just a plug him in between defenders. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, his his, his instincts inside the penalty area, the, the way he moves and maneuvers defenders and uses his body is art. I mean, it, it's beautiful at, at a championship level. But uh, do you do you see that at the same level or, or, or is is Mitrovic for you more of a, OK, score me the goals and the creativity comes from everybody else? No, I think, yeah, actually, I think I've unsold him a bit. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think he's a bit more multifaceted, as you said. And just, you know, there are some strikers that, you know, they are just poachers outright. That's their job in the team. But, you know, from what I've seen, you know, I think a lot of the time you can watch a player on TV and label him as a, you watch him, you sort of half watching it and you look at it and you go, oh, he's just a poacher, he scored one right. chance. When I watched him live, he's a, he's an, he's a brute force, to be honest, because he, and also, I mean, he, as you say, he drops back a lot of the time in the away game, especially, because it wasn't an easy game for them. I think Fulham were expecting a bit of an easy ride against a team in the relegation spots, but he would drop deeper and then play a very, very, you know, intricate passes to the wingers and to Cavallio and drop a bit more. And then, as you say, in the home game as well, he was doing the same. He was trying to link up play, trying to, you know, you know, unlock that creativity that means, you know, they won game 6-0, 7-0. But sometimes in games where it's been 1-0, 2-1, he, he's not just the poacher. He'll, he'll want to create it himself or begin a move and then finish it off, obviously, because that's what he does. But yeah, yeah. I think... He's a very multifaceted player. I think, yeah, I do. I think he's a, yeah, he's a poacher, but there's definitely more to him than just calling him that outright. Right. No, I, I think, I think we're, we're on the same page because I, you look, yeah. there, there are so many strikers who you'll, you'll track their movements and what they do off the ball. And it's like, you're playing with 10 men up until the ball progresses into the penalty area. Cause there are, there are some strikers who just offer so little outside of, let me get my head on this cross. And Mitrovic is, is, is not that player. I mean, again, he's not, he's not Kevin De Bruyne. He's not, he's not, you know, <laughs> dropping 40 yards and, and playing a line splitting passes, but um, he is a guy who wants to be involved. And obviously, as, as you mentioned, and rightly so his top attribute and by a wide margin is his ability to score in a number of different ways, right? He's not, yes, he's approaching forward, but he's not, one-footed he can use both feet he uses his head very well he uses his body very well um and at, at a championship level it's so much fun to watch because you can tell he has his way with opposition defenders he 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 is he is in charge the way he can he can essentially do what he wants when he's in those areas um even if at times he does go quiet it seems more often than not he's able to manipulate and maneuver the defenders the way that he wants to the problem with Mitrovic and we've seen this twice already is that's all well and good. He he do, he can do that at, at a championship level where he's competing against championship defenders, but Premier League defenders are different in the sense that they know better how to uh, manipulate strikers in the penalty area. They know how to deal with a striker that maybe drops in between the lines. There are more athletic midfielders to track a striker like that. And we've seen Mitrovic play very, very well in the championship and then come up to the Premier League and not do a whole lot of anything. Are you convinced that maybe next year will be different, or will we see more of more of that mold? Where, sure, I, Fulham are not a side that are going to be competing for the European places. They will inherently create fewer chances. But 
we, we've seen Mitrovic kind of disappoint in the Premier League, I think, especially surrounding all the hype he received in the championship. It, it, will it be more of the same next year? Or do you see that going a little bit differently now that he's had this groundbreaking season? Yeah, I think last time in the Premier League under Scott Parker, I think he, from what I remember, I think he got three or four goals. It was a very, was a very low number. Very, un, very underwhelming season. And the season before that, I mean, obviously not the, you know, it's it's very hard to replicate the numbers he's had this season, but he was scoring 20, he scored 20 plus the season before in a side that wasn't as creative as Marco Silva. But for what, from what I remember, he's had a few seasons in the Premier League where he's got double figures. I think he's got one season with Fulham where he scored a, maybe 11 or 12 initially. And I, I think when he first first broke through at Newcastle, he got a few in one season. I will, <laughs> on the spot, <laughs> fact check. Um, 12, 12 in the chat, 12, 12, with Newcastle, 9, then 4, then 1. And then with Fulham, 12 in the championship. And then they came up, he bagged 11 in 18-19. They went down, he scored 26. They came up, he scored three. They went down, and of course, he scored an outrageous number. Yeah. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Um, I, I think it's an interesting storyline to watch because, you know, we, we chatted about, about Fabio Carvalho and his influence and, and how important he is for this Fulham attack, and, and Mitrovic is just as, if not more important. Although that is an interesting question. Like, can, can you make an argument that even with Mitrovic's ridiculous goal-scoring numbers, Carvalho is the more important attacking player, or is that overthinking it and, and it's Mitrovic and then it's everybody else? No, I think, yeah, I think, as I said previously, I think it was a case of the players around Mitrovic really right. do help him. Because I think as that, as that shows there, I think it's the system as well. Right. Because under Scott Parker, he, he would score a lot of goals. But obviously we see that he only scored three in the Premier League. It was, to be honest, it was a, a really underwhelming season from Fulham when they went when they went up last time round. So I think under Marco Silva, I think when we see Marco Silva in, in the Premier League with Hull, Watford and Everton, they, he doesn't set up defensively by any shape. Of, but I do think next season, yeah, I think he'll I think I'll have a good season, but it's got no way he's gonna score 40 goals in the Premier League. That's that'd be ridiculous. It's a hot take. <laughs> but I think yeah, I think he'll do better than he's done in the last few years because he off a forty-three goal season, he's going to be full of confidence. But the only the thing that would worry me next season if Fulham starts slowly and he doesn't score in the first few, does he think, oh god, was that was that one season a bit of a was that a bit of a right. fluke? Do you know what I mean? Like it might be a case of he'll get one in the Premier League and that'll that'll get the ball rolling, they'll all start flowing in. But it's all it all depends on how Fulham set up next season because if they go back. You know, under Scott Park in the Premier League, a very defensive side, a lot of passing. And then, right. you know, when you've got Marco Silva as a more creative manager, you know, with the attack at the forefront, it'll just be interesting to see how he approaches the Premier League. Because if, if you know, if they're attack-orientated, Mitrovic will score your goals, but I don't think you'll stay up. Right. It's one of, it's I, one I, of those. It's, it's going to be a balancing act, really. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, too, is like... The, I, because I agree, I, th- I don't think that that Mitrovic will be in that same mold where it was. Where is he on the pitch? You don't even notice him hardly. But I, the way that this Fulham side, I think what's different about this Fulham side and the Fulham side of two years ago under Scott Parker, and you mentioned you mentioned it, is that Scott Parker side was much more reserved, much more defensive, much less daring, even with a player of uh, of 
of Mitrovic's quality. I think there's two there's two big things that are that feel different this time around. And one of them you mentioned, this one is more free-flowing, more creative. They want possession of the ball. They want to be on the front foot, um, which as a lesser talented side in the Premier League could be a blessing. It could also be a terrible curse because you could be opening yourselves up. And as an American, I don't have a whole lot of trust in a defense, a Premier League defense, that half of which is Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. As good as Tim Ream has been in the Premier League, um, I don't know if he's if he's your number one center back at, or in the championship, rather. I don't know if he's your number one center back in the Premier League. Um, but it, it is a free-flowing side. It does want to get on the front foot. But it's also, and, and it's, it's something that you mentioned, it's it's a, a unit that attacks together. It's not just a Alexander Mitrovic and pick and place everybody around him. Um, I think there, there's, there's one example that kind of sticks out with among others, but this is just the first one that came to mind, is when you see a side like Norwich come up with a striker of Timo Pukki's quality, and this could be a season ago or even even three seasons ago. Timo Pukki, we know, is a very, very good striker. Um, but even three seasons ago when he was surrounded by by, by players like Buendia and Cantwell, there wasn't... It, it seemed very easy to, to zone in on him and focus on him and then force the other players to then beat you or create situations that free up Timu Pukki. And they weren't really able to do that. I remember in that first season, if I remember correctly, Pukki bagged a hat trick on match day one and then kind of fell off for, for the rest of the year. He didn't do a whole lot. And, but this Fulham side feels different uh, it, where if you choose to zone in on Mitrovic and let's say for, for argument's sake, Liverpool do loan Fabio Carvalho back to, to Fulham. You've got a player in Carvalho who's, who's, creative, exciting, uh, unpredictable, who can then uh, uh, operate with with that space that you're giving him. You've got a player like Harry Wilson who excels on both sides of the pitch. He can play crosses him with both feet, and he's a player who you really don't want to give time to uh, when when he's on the ball. You've got players of, of Cabano and Dakota Reed's quality. So it's, a, it's an attack that doesn't feel like you can zone in on, on only Mitrovic when, when you're playing against them, which might help Mitrovic uh, better than anybody else on the pitch wearing, wearing that, that white and black home kit. Um, last question here before we chat about the, the championship playoff. I think this has been really, really good. I'm glad that, that we got to, to dive into Fulham a little bit. Um, a promoted side, you never really know what their transfer strategy will be. We've seen strategies ranging from uh, Villa a couple years ago when it's let's throw money at the wall and hope some of it sticks versus sides that come up and say, we're not going to touch anything. We're going to stick with what we've got. And you've got everything in between. What would be in your eyes, a shrewd transfer policy for Fulham in this summer window, preparing for the the Premier League when it starts in three or four months, who, who are either, either specific players or a type of player that you think they would benefit by going after? I think you touched on it when you were talking about, you know, Tim Ream and Anthony Robinson. I think if Fulham were to go oh, they're up to the Premier League, I think they need I think they would have to bolster their defense. I think that would probably be a priority because as much as Tim Ream, he's done really well this season. I've I know you're obviously American, so you know Tim Ream a, a bit more, but in the, in the Premier League, he's never really you know, he's a good player, but he's in the in the championship this season, he's really come on another level. He's a very leader-like figure for Fulham right. this season, which I thought 
was interesting. Anthony Robinson's a very, very talented footballer, but, you know, it's making that Premier League transition. Kenny Tete's a, a good player, but you look at that defence, Michael Hector as well, Gazaniga and goal. I think as much as Fulham, you know, they score a load of goals as well. They they have had a, they have had a good defence this season, but I think in the Premier League, when you look at, you know, Tim Ream's been a, been about for a few seasons now at Fulham. I do think you'd, you'd have to go after, you know, a defender of some sort, a bit of a, you know, a battling centre back. I'd probably go for if I was the, if I was Marco Silva. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a, a shrewd decision. I just wonder, what do you do you uh, do, do you do you look for a player from the Championship, or do you look foreign? Do you do you look elsewhere? Or do you look to bring in a player on loan, something of, of I don't know, a, a name is, is slipping my mind. But but where are you are you plucking this this defender from? Or does it matter? Um, well, when you look at it, depends if they go for their transfer strategy that they've used recently, which, you know, when you look at the Fulham team, you know, Bobby, not Bobby, Fabio Cavallio, you know, Harry Wilson, Nico Williams as well. They're all been loaned in. So they've obviously got a, you know, they've utilized the loan market really effectively. But as well, they've used, they have got a few of those players in that 11. That's, you know, as you mentioned him, Bobby Deckard over Reed. They brought him in from Bristol City in the championship. So they're obviously, you know, they, there's a lot of different places that they look for their transfer targets. But I think, I think Marco Silva might utilize the foreign market a bit more. And when you've, I think, I mean, I'm not sure how much coverage Fulham have abroad, but I imagine a player looking at Fulham, if you're an attacking player especially, you know, the amount of goals they've scored, taking the championship by storm as the Premier League next season, they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll, be, they'll be an attractive club for a lot of players to go there and see what they can do in the Premier League. But I would imagine, yeah, I could see them using the loan market and the foreign markets a bit more than the championship market. Yeah, I think yeah. they might go for a bit more of a, an experienced player. Yeah, and, and I, I I think as well just the the allure of of particularly among among if they choose to to utilize the foreign market is is this is the Premiership this is the league that you all want want to play in in theory um, I I do wonder as well if I mean we we've been operating on the assumption that Liverpool loaned Fabio Carvalho back to Fulham which would be all well and good for them but if that weren't to happen if Liverpool were to say we want to keep him or loan him out somewhere else. We don't want uh, to be loaning him out in the Premier League for whatever reason. Um, I, there there are two names that have popped into my mind, and I, they could be brilliant. They could be horrible. I, I, I have no idea. I need to run them by you. The first name that, that came to mind for me, I, mean, I haven't heard his name in a while because he, he went and he, he, I forget where exactly, but he, he left uh, European football. Could Matthias Pereira be in for a, a Premier League return? Of course, he was at West Brom. I think the wage question would be huge, but um, he was far and wide the best player for a West Brom side last year that went straight back down. Very creative attacking midfielder, very creative number 10. And we know he, he plays decently well at that level in the Premier League. And then the other one, which I think is a bit more outlandish and I think uh, is far more unlikely as well. But with the dumpster fire that Manchester United are. Could Jesse Lingard be in for a move to Fulham? We know he he succeeded at West Ham. 
we know there's a 99.9% chance that there's no place for him in this United squad anymore. And the big question is, would he want to go to a side like that when he knows he can still perform at clubs that are competing for the top half, uh, the spots on the top of the table? But are either of those two particularly likely as a potential replacement for Fabio Carvalho, or am I am I dreaming too big for this Fulham side? No, I think they're both. I think Jesse Lingard might aim a bit higher. <laughs> no, that's not a slight on Fulham, but if you're playing for Manchester United, I mean, he doesn't play very often but if you're a Manchester United squad player and then a newly promoted team you might and you might think obviously he's, he's been at West Ham recently here up near the top end of the table and he performed really well for them so is he going to maybe hold out and see if a more mid-table safer Premier League team comes but I think Jesse Lingard it, it would be a good move for him because you've got so much attacking talent around you you'd probably start more often than not or cast the bench if Harry Crowley leaves I think I'd be a good move for him, but I do. I could imagine. I think Jesse Lingard would be a bit more of a, a bit of a pipe dream signing, but I think Mateus Pereira. I could see. I, he was really good at West Brom. I think he was understated the the impact he had in the Premier right. League because obviously I. No offense to that West Brom team under <laughs> Sam Allardyce, they were sinking without a trace. They looked I, dreadful. I think I watched them twice all season. Yeah, they were. But whenever you watched them, he was the creative spark, and then obviously. It was a big saga around him leaving for... He plays in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, doesn't he? I, I believe so. I, it, it's in the Gulf region somewhere. And then I think that there was obviously a lot of, you know, disharmony about him moving away from West Brom. And I don't really... I mean, West Brom have struggled this season in the championship. I don't think West Brom ever really replaced his creativity, his flair, his spark. His, he's a very similar player, you could say, to Fabio Cavallio, where he creates chances out of nothing. And has an eye for goal too. But I think if you're Marco Silva, I think I don't know, I think Mateus Pereira would be more the signing he'd go for. Because I think he's a bit more of a flair, look for a foreign talent, Premier League proven, whereas I think you might struggle with Jesse Lingard wanting to join a team newly promoted. Tell you what, if <laughs> if they were to push a Lingard deal through. I, I think oh, it would be a fantastic signing for them. Yeah, and I yeah. think you you go to uh, the cottage and every other shirt you see would be Lingard 18 on it. I think that that would be, oh, definitely, definitely. you know, for, for footballing purposes, but also for marketing purposes. My God, that that's a move that, you know, that's that, that that's Ericsson Brentford esque, I think, in the same in the same mold. Um, so Fulham, I, I think our, our consensus is. Did we even get a consensus? I, I don't even know if we did. We might have gone down a, several several deep rabbit holes. But in terms of a side that has staying power in the Premiership, like, bottom line, is this a side for you as the currently constructed that can finish 17th or better in 2022-2023? I think they might. I think they'll give it a better go than they have. But I do think they will slip back down. But my reasoning for it would be Marco Silva has been in a relegation battle before with Hull. He took them over and he he did a lot of good things with them, but they went back down and he left. Watford struggled with them. He left. My issue would be if Fulham start next season, they're not doing very well. Marco Silva doesn't stick around at a job for very long. Would he maybe right. would he maybe would he maybe be, you know, looking elsewhere? Obviously, when he was at Watford, the Everton job was, you know, so mm. tantalizing it basically threw him completely off in the Hornets dugout and then he eventually left. My issue would be 
if Fulham don't start brilliantly next season, or they don't, not brilliantly, but they pick up a few results, is he going to be tempted to use the, you know, I've won the championship title recently as a way to maybe manoeuvre into another job? But I think, I don't think, I don't think they do a Norwich this season where they go up and they fail right. spectacularly. I think, <laughs> give, I think they'd give it a good go. But I'd, I'd maybe see them as like an 18th. Maybe, it depends. As, as I say, I think they really need to bolster that defence. Right. I think that that attack is Premier League ready. Right, I agree. But I, I just I don't know if they've got the full unit yet for the Premier League. No, it's a good point that you make about about their their defensive construction because when you especially at like this point in the season in the Premier League, right, match day thirty five, match day thirty six, if you're in a relegation dogfight, the the best skill and the best attribute that you can have is knowing how to set up. And knowing how to set up defensively for nil-nil against a better side. Like, like where to steal those points that maybe your relegation rivals don't have. Like, like how, knowing effectively how to hunker down, how to pack yourself in, and how to play for a draw, play for a point. And as good as they are, as spectacular as they are going forward, you make a really good point. And I don't know if they understand fully yet how to do the latter of the two, which is... is excel defensively and play for that nil-nil, play for that 1-1, go for the smash and grab. I don't know if this is a Fulham side that's capable of it. Now, maybe come match day 30 next year after 29 battle-tested match days in which most of them they'll be the underdog for, maybe they have learned it by then. But I think this side today on, on May 11th doesn't possess that skill. So it's a really, really good point to make. I think it, we could be looking at a Fulham side that, like, not not to, to get too too glamorous, but this could be a Fulham side that finished either 19th or like 13th. It, it, it's, it feels like one that could go one way or the other. And I think 19th is probably a bit more likely, but there is a chance with, with a side that includes a striker like Alexander Mitrovic and the players around him. Maybe there is a chance that, that they steal a couple of big results and, and clear themselves of that gap. But it doesn't fully feel like a side yet that is able to, uh, to fully escape that relegation dogfight. And then when they're in it, it's anybody's guess. Um, let's chat about this promotion playoff because it's going to be a very, very, very good one. Of course, 3v6, 4v5. Let me pull up the championship table. Huddersfield v. Luton and Forest v. Uh, v. Sheffield United. Of course, Premier League fans are familiar with Sheffield United as a side that were in the Premiership a season ago. Of course, got sent down. Um, uh, big, big changing of the guard. Their squad is, is pretty unrecognizable. Um, you recently wrote a piece alongside Brad Jones, uh, one player for every championship club who's ready to step into the Premier League. I want to chat with you about the four players that you together listed of these these championship clubs in that article. And they are uh, Brennan Johnson at Nottingham Forest, who we chatted about a little bit already, Sorba Thomas at Huddersfield, Elijah Adebayo at Luton, and Jaden Bogle at, uh, at Sheffield United. Those are the four players that, that you both looked at for these championship playoff sides and said, you're ready for the Premier League. What was it about them that that stood out to you? And 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 specifically, I'm interested in Sorba Thomas because Brendan Johnson, we know how, how good he is. I think he'll be in the, in the Premier League and I don't think it'll surprise anybody. But Sorba Thomas is a name that stood out to me, not just as somebody who I wasn't super, super familiar with, but as somebody who's competing for a Huddersfield side that finished third. So what is it about him that that makes you convinced he's ready to fight in the Premier League? The thing is, I think with Huddersfield this season, they're not the most creative side. They're very staunchly defensive. 
Carlos Corbraham, you know, he's really turned it around as Huddersfield boss. He was probably one of the favourites to be sacked last season after quite a disappointing season. But this season, you know, I think he purchased Silver Thomas in January from, you know, the non-league Boreham Wood, who had a really good FA Cup run this year. But he sort of got put straight into the deep end this season. And his early season form for Huddersfield was remarkable. He's getting so many assists. And I think his real attribute, and I think it came against the team that they'll be, they'll be playing in the playoffs in Luton when they beat them 2-0 a few weeks ago. Huddersfield, it was a very even game, but they scored two goals. And one of them was just Sorba Thomas's ability from free kicks and set pieces is unbelievable. The amount of assists he gets just from floating a free kick in, floating a corner kick in. And Huddersfield had a lot of big centre-backs, Tom Lees and Naby Sarr. It really complements the style that Huddersfield will go for. A lot of big physical players. And I think, you know, Sorba Thomas, is, he's, he got a Wales call up this season. You know, a, a player that was playing, you know, uh, in the division below when the Football League begins. It's a, it's a remarkable rise. So I, I think when you look, when you watch him play, he's still young. There's no, you know, there's no reason why next season, if Huddersfield are in the Premier League, he can't continue to be their star man. Because he really has been the main player for Huddersfield this season. Yeah, no, I, I I agree, and of course, I read the 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 handful of paragraphs in that story. I'll also, I'll it came in two parts. I'll link them both in the description of this episode if any listeners want to go and read it because it is really really good stuff. And and um, I I think there's when you speak with the championship, if you're not in it, if you're not somebody who who follows it match week in match week out maybe you don't know about some of these players particularly in the bottom half of the table um i mean you know about the 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 johnsons and the carvalhos but you don't know about those players who are for example peter bro united the ones that are fighting near near the bottom of 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 the championship table and it offers a, a good a good scope into those clubs just as well as as the ones at the top so i'll link both of them everybody can go can go take a look um one name for, for Huddersfield that I'm interested in though and want to get your thoughts on is, is the defender on loan from Chelsea, Levi Colwell. He, he's been, uh, you mentioned for Huddersfield side that are, are staunchly defensive. He's been very good. Um, obviously, you look at this Chelsea side, maybe there is nowhere for, for Colwell to fit in, even if Christensen and Rudiger are out the door. Um, if Huddersfield win, from, well, first, what have you seen from, from Colwell specifically? And is this a player that might not be at Huddersfield next season based on his form? He might get called back to Chelsea. Yeah, I think in recent weeks, he's had a lot of injury issues and he's missed quite a few games. But from what I've seen of him, he's a very calm and composed defender. He's not the, He has that side to him where obviously he's going to put a tackle in and win a 50-50 and get you know dirty for the cause. But he's a, he's a very calm, composed player. And when I watched him when Peterborough played Huddersfield way back, we think we drew with them. He was, he really did bully our, our attacker in Johnson Clark Harris, and he's a he's a big, strong, tall striker. So he's he's got that side to his game. But I do think, yeah, I can't imagine Thomas Tuchel will go. Oh, Christiansen and Rudiger are out the door. I think mean, Rudiger is now. I, I, I Christiansen is, is is going to be a Barcelona player, uh, barring something crazy. I think. And Rudiger, yeah. I, I, I'm fairly certain, is out the door as well. Yes, yeah, Real Madrid, I think. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah. So I think with, with Chelsea as they are, I know they've obviously had their ownership issues, but they, I think they're having another multi-million owner at some stage. 
I can imagine Thomas Tuchel will probably want to buy another defender. Right. And I can imagine Cole Colwell might go out on loan, maybe to a lower half Premier League team right. next season. If maybe, I don't know, Southampton perhaps. I know they've got Crozier on loan and Livramento and that sort of player. So I think, yeah, I think Colwell will be in the Premier League next season, maybe for a lower half team because he's really excelled by Huddersfield this season. Yeah, that, that's something that I, I wanted to, to pivot into that we can we can do so now is players who are going to be in this championship playoff who will likely be in the Premier League next season, whether their side wins promotion or not. Um, there is a couple obvious ones here, and I think uh, we said it already. Brennan Johnson is the obvious one. I can't see a world in which he's not competing in the Premier League in, in three or four months. Um but another one cut from that cloth, and this is somebody who I know you're, you're fond of, you've written about for Breaking the Lines, also playing for, for Nottingham Forest, who maybe doesn't get the same attention, is James Garner on loan for Manchester United. And when you look at this Nottingham Forest side, obviously the attention grabbers are the, the Brennan Johnsons, the Jed Spences, a player like Philip Zinkernagel, who's come in from Bodo Glimt. Um, you've got Keenan Davis, who, who's on loan from, from Aston Villa. But Garner is that player for, in, in midfield who is that kind of creative spark and, and is is able-bodied and, and willing to, to to contribute in the attacking third. Um, you wrote an article recently about breaking uh, on Breaking the Lines, kind of questioning if, with all this Manchester United turmoil, potentially James Garner does get a chance in the United side next season. Um, where do you stand on him? What kind of draws him to you? I think recently... Nottingham Forest beat Swansea 5-1 in quite a big win. I think they'd lost the match before, people were getting a bit nervous. And then they came back and responded with a 5-1 win. And he didn't didn't score, but the way, it's just the way in which he plays in the middle. He just allows everything, he's just very, he just allows everything to tick almost for the style of football Steve Cooper wants. Because Steve Cooper at Swansea got, you know, accusations that the football was a bit stale and a bit boring at times, even though they get into the playoffs it would be a little bit defensive. But at Forest, it's so counter-attacking, soaking up the pressure and then breaking on teams. And James Garner in the middle with uh, Yates is his usual midfield partner. Mm-hmm. Garner's, Garner almost acts as a deep-lying playmaker, a very well-rounded player, put a tackle in and then burst forward. And in the Swansea game, I think he assisted both the Sam Surridge goals. But I think one of the stats was he had 95% pass accuracy in the entire game. Seven chances created. It was a from what from what I was watching. It was a ten out of ten performance, and it was a real wow. This kid, you know, he, he does go under the radar a bit. Because I think when you think Nottingham Forest, you do think wow, Brennan Johnson in attack, Jed Spence down the. He's such an expansive wing back, such a a joy to watch. But I think Garner sometimes goes under the radar a little bit. And in a manager in Eric Eric Ten Hag, who you know he favours young exciting players from his time at Ajax. I think he's the, the sort of player Ten Hag will look at and go, got to give him a chance in pre-season and see what he's about. Because unfortunately at Manchester United, everything just feels so passive in a bit. <laughs> it just, there's not a lot of passion involved. And when you watch Garner, you know, he's not even his parent club. It's his adopted club. I know he's been at Forest two times on loan now. He just plays with passion, skill, drive, and he scores goals as well. He's such a, a complete midfielder. I was really glad I wrote an article on him because he's been fantastic this season. Yeah, and, and again, that's one that that you 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 posted about recently, and we'll link that one. 
Um, but no, I, I think I've I've had the chance to watch this this Nottingham Forest a couple of times, and I've I've been watching them to focus specifically on the way that this attacking free works, and you can't take your eyes away from a player like James Garner and and what he contributes. Eight goals, uh, excuse me, four goals, eight assists, forty one matches in in the championship this season. An exciting, exciting player, and maybe you can argue. He's coming into form at the perfect time as an on-loan Manchester United player because th- there really is so much potential for, especially a manager like Eric Ten Hag, who, who is, is, as you mentioned, so open to utilizing youth and to giving young player opportunities, but also just the feeling around the club of we're not only okay with, but also kind of preparing for an exodus, for a, a complete turning on the head of, of what we've been because of all of these issues and problems that, that, that go on on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, maybe Garner is a player who won't start 30 matches for United in the premiership, but, but will be a consistent contributor off the bench. Somebody playing uh, maybe, maybe gathering a, a handful of starts and, and he does strike. I think you certainly, and me as well as a player who might find some success, maybe some more success than, players who that then those who don't follow him as closely might assume he could get um okay i think we're, we're going on what, what are we at here we're at 49 minutes so let's let's go to 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 the the big the big question the big fish um this is i think a, a, a going to be a thrilling playoff not just because of, of the way that the championship season ended but because of 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 the players that we'll see the potential for some sides that haven't been in the Premier League for a long time to be back in the Premier League, particularly Nottingham Forest and Luton. Um, this is going to expose my, my my lack of knowledge. But have Luton ever been a Premier League side since it rebranded the Premier League in, in the nineties or no? No, they've not. They've not been back. They, so, they were definitely they were definitely in the old First Division, but right. they've not been in they've not been in the top flight for ages. So a, a chance for. Forest to get back, a chance for Luton to get there. Of course, Huddersfield and Sheffield United have been there fairly recently. Um, how do you see this promotional playoff shaping out? Who who competes in Wembley, and then who wins that third uh, that third place into the Premier League? Yeah, I think when you see the two the two games, I think Huddersfield v Luton, they've played each other recently. Huddersfield came out on top. I think Luton recently have struggled with having a slightly threadbare squad. And when you watch Luton, it's a very high intensity, very, you know, it's a lot of energy. I think they maybe have maybe fizzled out a little bit. Obviously, getting sick for a team like Luton is unbelievable with the with the story of them, you know, being in non-league mm-hmm. maybe not too long ago and then building their way back up. So I don't think... I think if you tell a Luton fan you're gonna you're not gonna get to Wembley or you'll get to Wembley and lose, they'll they'll be happy with a, a successful season. But I think coming up against Huddersfield, who have been consistently up there this season, I could see over the two legs Huddersfield just having that little bit extra to get over the line, especially with I think Luton have got quite a few players out. They've had to get an emergency loan keeper in. It's not the best situation going into a playoffs, but also the passion they've played with all season. It makes that a really interesting one, but I think Huddersfield slightly edged that one, and then Forest Sheffield United will be a very intriguing mm. one because both both have both have players that are ready for the Premier League. I'd say. I mean, no Sheffield United fell out of the Premier League last year, you know, as the bottom club, and they were 
they were yeah not very good <laughs> to be honest Chris Wilder you know Chris Wilder's exit really really hung over them in like a dark cloud for quite a bit and I think Paul Heckenbottom he's he's gone under the radar as doing a very good job for Sheffield United this season because they have Skaviska Jovanovic in who obviously has had prior championship success and it just didn't work and I think he stabilised it you've got players like Morgan Gibbs-White who I know Sheffield United beat Fulham on the final day 4-0 obviously a, a Wolves player by his parent club but he's been really 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 good for Sheffield United this season but I think in the, in the playoffs I think Forrest will have enough to edge them so I think it might be a battle of the top two Huddersfield and no, top top two the third place and fourth place teams top two in the playoffs yeah, yeah top two in the playoffs I think I think it'll be a Huddersfield Forest final and yeah, I think with 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 what's happened this season, with the story of Forrest, you know, starting the season couldn't win a game to save their lives. Steve Cooper comes in and completely regalvanizes it. The amount of quality on that, I think it's going to be a bit like when Brentford went up through the playoffs last year. I think everyone saw Brentford as the team to pick. Right. They're in form. They, you know, missed out on promotion a few times. I know Forrest have, haven't been in the playoffs for a bit. But every single season, they're nearer there and then they fall off. I don't, it just feels like Forrest's time. But obviously, in, in a final against Huddersfield, who have been there recently, obviously a dramatic playoff victory got them into the, play, into the Premier League last time under David Wagner. It'll be interesting because I think Huddersfield will go to Wembley and you know they'll go into it thinking, we'll, can, we'll, we'll go out for a 1-0 here and try and be really defensive. But I think in a playoff final, Steve Cooper will tell his Forrest players to go for it a bit more. Mm-hmm. So it'll be an interesting one, but I'm hoping, you know, I think Huddersfield and Forest, both teams would be deserving to go up, but I could see Forest winning it personally. Yeah, I think I think gut reaction tells me to support Nottingham Forest to, to win promotion, just, just for, for all the reasons you laid out. I mean, it, it's, it's a fun side. Uh, statistically, they're the best of the four, even better than Huddersfield, who finished ahead of them. Um, they, they've got the, the players who can flip a game on its head if they need one. Huddersfield, of course, as you mentioned, the more, more defensive side, but Nottingham Forest have the players who, if, if again, that litmus test, if you need a player to take a chance late in the match, Forest have those players. Maybe Huddersfield don't. My my, I, I tell you what, I, I, I actually, I, I think you can make an argument that, that Sheffield United will be the tougher test for Nottingham Forest than Huddersfield would in, in theory. I think Sheffield United yeah. have so much to provide. You mentioned Morgan Gibbs-White as a player who, uh, of course, on loan from Wolves, so creative in the attacking third. I also, a player that I was in love with when they moved for, when they were still in the Premier League, who has been good in the, in the championship, is Sander Berga, uh, the Norwegian midfielder. I think he's a very, very good kind of stalwart, sentinel-esque midfielder who, yeah. who can sit in front of the defense. And I think they, they will, over two legs, give Norwich, uh, not Norwich, give, give Nottingham Forest a real run. I'm tempted to agree. I think I'll say, you know, for the sake of being different, I'll say Sheffield United and Huddersfield. I think if you're going to put a put a gun to my head, I'll, I'll say Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield and Nottingham to for Nottingham Forest to advance. But for the sake of the podcast and for offering a different a different uh, answer, I'll go Sheffield United, Huddersfield, and Sheffield United to to win promotion back to the Premier League. The other thing with with Nottingham Forest for me is is. And again, it, it has been like a tale of two seasons where they started off so poorly and, and it looked, especially after a season ago, where they really should have been playing uh, in the, the promotion playoff. They were in a spot for so long. And then on the last day, they slipped to, to, to seventh place, I believe, on goal difference, if my memory serves me right. Um, yeah, yeah. 
and, and that that heartbreak, that hangover, and then their start to this season, you kind of feel like, okay, maybe they need to to regroup and regather after what had happened the season prior. And then you mentioned that complete 180, that turnaround in form, and they're they're scoring goals left and right, they're winning matches left and right, they're they're in the they're in the top six even with three or four games in hand. I mean, it was remarkable what what their form had looked like. But you look at Nottingham's form, not Nottingham Forest's form against the, the top six, the top seven. And it, it it really is a lot of red. They uh, Competing against the teams around them in the table, they have not fared super, super well. They've only won twice against sides in the top seven, once against Fulham, once against Huddersfield. But they lost twice to Bournemouth. They drew twice to Sheffield United, lost both to Middlesbrough, lost in a draw to, to Luton. So I wonder if if they're able to go and fight against those top-of-the-table sides that they're able to consistently put in those types of performances. They haven't done that a whole lot uh, in in the, the across a 46-match, I guess, regular season, we'll, we'll call it, although I know regular season is a uniquely American term. We'll use it for the sake of, of this conversation. I'll go Sheffield United and Huddersfield. My heart says Nottingham Forest. My head kind of also says Nottingham Forest. But the clickbait, I'll say Sheffield United and Huddersfield. Sheffield United to win promotion. Um Keelan, I really appreciate you you jumping on the podcast. This has been so, so much fun. The first time we've talked about the championship on this podcast and hopefully the first of many times to come because it really is such a thrilling, such an exciting league. The storylines are, are so unique to even the Premier League. I mean, the championship has just got this different feel to it, especially as a foreign viewer. Um, I will go ahead and let you plug anything you'd like, Twitter, uh, articles, anything at all. Uh, let, tell the people where, uh, where they can find you if they want to read or hear more. So yeah, I write for um, Breaking the Lines relatively regularly on on the championship and everything. And that's on, I usually post those on my football Twitter. So that's just at Sarson Keelan is mainly where I post those. But yeah, that's really all I want to plug. That's that's where I put most of the articles that I do write. I write for other websites as well, but we'll mention Breaking the Lines is the is the best one. Cool. Short and sweet. Saving us time. I appreciate it. Um, well, again, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping on. We'll definitely get you back on soon. Cheers. Yes. So that was my conversation with Keelan. Again, a lot of fun, a really interesting chat. First time we've tackled championship on, on this podcast, which seems a bit odd, although I guess it is kind of advertised as a top five leagues podcast. And we've broken that rule a couple times by doing this championship episode and also discussing uh, the World Cup teams in episode 15. Um Regardless, a really, really fun chat that I had with Keelan. If you want to follow him or read more, as you heard from him, at Sarson Keelan on Twitter. That's at S-A-R-S-O-N-K-E-L-A-N on Twitter. A lot of really, really good stuff. And we, of course, spoke about the the 20 championship ballers uh, article. He's got plenty more. A lot of player tactical analyses. Really, really good reading if you're interested in, uh, in, in English football. If you liked what you heard... And again, returning viewers, you've heard this, and hopefully you've done it by now, because you've you've gone through this 15 times previously. But if you're a new listener and you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to to follow Breaking the Lines on Twitter if you're not already. First and foremost, at BTLVid. Uh, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at Will Fowler Five. Objectively, not as fun of a follow as Breaking the Lines is, but I do well for myself. I, yeah, I have a banger every now and then. Um, so go and follow the both of us on social media. Also, subscribe to Breaking the Lines wherever you get your podcasts from, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, I don't know where else. 
where else are there other podcasts? I feel like there's a new one popping up every single day, but wherever you get your podcasts from, go ahead and subscribe to Breaking the Lines Audio Podcast, because not only do we have this glorious podcast, The Tactics Room, we've also got, like, I'm starting to lose track, like, at least five or six more. And they're all relatively new. So go and check out every single one of them. We've got an Italian football podcast. We've got a French football podcast. We've got a Portuguese football podcast. We've got uh, a podcast that specializes in in uh, in understanding some of the best managers in the world. We've got a brand new podcast called Road to Qatar that, that discusses specifically World Cup stuff. You're going to want to hear all of it. Again, in my completely unbiased and objective opinion, you're going to want to hear all of it. And you're not going to want to miss any of it in the future. So just go and subscribe. You can hear all of them um, over there on Breaking the Lines Audio Podcast. That will do it for me today here on episode 16. I think I touched on everything, right? Twitter follows, subscription to the podcast. Follow our Twitter and our Instagram and TikTok pages. Those are going to get up and running very, very shortly. We've got a whole team of people working to to create content for when those launches begin. So go and follow and, and be ready for day one on those podcasts. But until then, until episode 17, my name is Will Fowler. You've been listening to the Tactics Room podcast presented by Breaking the Lines. Oh.